0: And uh, should we do that instead? (laughs) No. So we've been showing that video each week as we move into this story. I want to talk today about the better story. I want us to help us step into this better story that God has for you and for me. And that better story, as the video has intimated, it's it's about stepping into relationship with God. It's about knowing Him. It's about living in Him, and it's about Him living in us dwelling in us you and i were made to know god father son and holy spirit now the apostle paul in ephesians 3 he put it this way i don't know what you pray for when you pray for people if you're a christian you might sometimes pray for somebody to get a new job or for them to pass their exams or for a health concern here's what the apostle paul would pray when you asked him to pray for you you ready for this ephesians 3:18 I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is what Paul was praying for you. He'd pray for all the other stuff as well, by the way, but he said, I'm praying for Jesus to live in you. I'm praying that Jesus would live in you. As evangelical Christians, somebody said, well, yeah, we did that 20 years ago. We asked Jesus to come and live in us, didn't we? But Paul said, yeah. I know, but I'm still praying that he does it more and more and more. This is what the Christian life is. And then he carries on in verse 18. He says, he prays that you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Get this, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's a big prayer, isn't it? All. Creator God, he is Yahweh, all of him living in all of you and every part of your life. What an amazing prospect. The fullness of God who made everything living in you. What a prayer to pray. And that's what we're stepping in today. This is the better story that you and I can, can step into. Now, I dare say, how many of you here feel like you're living in the fullness of that right now? Do I see that hand? No, <laughs> I don't see my hand either. Because the truth is this you think, what a massive prospect. God living in me. Yet yeah, this is the story. But I dare say most of us find many workarounds, which is why that doesn't happen. I, I, I find workarounds in my life for all sorts of things. I've got a car, I've got a Ford Galaxy. It's nine years old, it's a diesel. Uh, Next year, I won't be able to drive it into central Edinburgh because it it won't pass the emissions test, the the low emission zone. And uh, it's all right. I'm already thinking about my workaround, which is, sorry, my kids, you're going to be dropped 10 minutes walk away from school now. (laughs) But it's okay. I found the workaround. I don't need to solve the problem. But my car is getting too old. This car, from the day I bought it, it just started getting bumps and scrapes. And I thought, you know, No problem. No problem cars get bumps and scrapes, I'm never going to fix any of them. If you look at my car, it, 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 it looks like it belongs in a scrapyard. And a few years ago, the air conditioning stopped working. And I thought, no problem. Who needs air conditioning in Scotland? Never used to need it until we had that heatwave last year. And uh, my dear family were melting into the seats on holiday as we were driving along the motorway at 70 miles an hour with all the windows wide open. I couldn't hear anybody speaking other than me shouting, it's no problem, we don't need air conditioning, we've got the windows open. See, we find our workarounds. Now, uh, just more recently, um, uh, I I had to have the wing mirrors replaced because they were broken and and the mechanic said, you have to have them replaced, it's a safety issue, so I got them replaced. But when he did so, he took the panels off the inside of the door. And when he put them back on, you know, where the armrests and all that stuff is, that massive panel on the inside of each door, when he put it back, he obviously didn't put it on quite right. So he un, you know, there was obviously a screw missing or something. So over a period of time, you, whenever somebody opened the passenger door, it would creak, and the plastic bit would just begin to pull away from the metal bit. And over time, that creaking got worse, and, and eventually the door wouldn't open. And, but I found a workaround that, <laughs> that if I was giving somebody a lift, that I would just motion to them as they were opening the door. I'd, I'd just say, pause. And then I would thump the door, and it would free it, and it would open, they'd get in, and I'd say, look, I found the workaround, isn't it great? Until one day, I was giving a lift to my former friend, Luke Daviditis, um, and, and he, he failed to observe my signal. He didn't see me saying stop while I do the punch thing. And he just, he just pulled that door, he opened it like a door. And literally, you just heard the pinging of all the plastic bits in the door, and the whole front of the door just fell off. It took me a couple of days to find a workaround. But I found one, which was to remove the entire interior of the door and to leave the handle hanging down and the the door switch, the, the window switch just hanging on a wire. It looked like something at, at the end of the Terminator movie, you know, when all the wires are laid bare and the metal. And, and, and I actually did chat to a mechanic, and I said, look, is this safe? And he said, yeah. He said, it's safe. It will pass its MOT, he said, as, as long as people can get in and out. Um, and I said, well, I think they can. So he said, it's okay. But I now drive with this thing just hanging down like that. Now, anybody who knows me, and is confident enough to say to me, when they get into the car, they will say something like this. Why do you live like this? (laughs) Get a new car, spend some money, fix it. This isn't right. And I'd kind of ignore it because I think well, the car's only going one way and and it's, it's gonna be in the scrap heap soon. But here's the thing, Sometimes we're unaware of the things in our lives that we are just working around all of the time. Uh, That was a silly issue, but here's the sort of more serious things that you and I tread around all the time. we, We work around our anxieties. We work around our past personalities. We work around the pressures in our life. We work around a complex maze of relationships and how they're going, and they shape us and they form us. And we find our workarounds, and we find our workarounds around this genuine God-filling relationship with us that he desires to have with us. And so today we're going to spend some time because God would say to us, don't live like that. Don't live with the captivity of that complex maze of things that inhibits us and the complexity of not having your, God, your life centered on God himself and his presence. Today, there's a danger for you that if you're a Christian, that you and I settle for less than the fullness of God. And if you're a Christian here today, if you're not a Christian, the danger is that you may never explore this whole dimension to the humanity that God has given to you. So let's start in the beginning. It's a very good place to start so that we can understand God's design for us. Have a look in Genesis 1, verse 2, the very first chapter of the Bible. It says this, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Where is God in creation? He's there. In fact, he's not there. He's near. He's hovering. The spirit of God is hovering over the face of the unformed earth. The Father speaking the universe into being, but God by his spirit is near. He could have done that at a distance, but he did it from proximity. The word for spirit is the Hebrew word ruach. i said say it again. Ruach. Apparently, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an onomatopoeic word. Do you know what that means? An onomatopoeic word, I'm told by people who study English, is a word that sounds like what it is, a bit like um, apparently many of the birds that we have in the air, things like cuckoo, it's named after the sound it makes and the spirit of God, this word also means breath or wind It's the ruach of God, and and he's hovering over the face of the unformed earth, the wind of God blowing, the breath of God breathing, the ruach of God. The wind speaks of his power, and the breath speaks of his closeness. How close do you have to be to somebody to hear them breathing? Pretty close, maybe a couple of meters How close do you have to be to hear, to to feel somebody breathing? Like this close. Yet creation feels the breath of God. It feels the power of God. It feels the nearness of God. But it gets even better. Let's look in Genesis 2 verse 7 when God creates the first man and woman. It says, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. This is a really profound moment in the creation story. You see, God's made all sorts of living things by this point. But it doesn't say that God gave CPR to fish. Or to zebras or giraffes. It doesn't say that God breathed in them the breath of life. It doesn't say he breathed into their nostrils. Yet with the man, he did. That tells us there's a a bigger point being made, which is this. That God is breathing something of himself and his own life into the man. The the name man, you probably saw the the footnote if you got it in your Bible. The, The name man is Adam in Hebrew. And uh, Adam is, is the name that we get from that. And it means, it sounds like the, the word for earth. So it's this word play. It's this thing. He's the earthy one. Adam is the earthy one. Yet God takes the earthy one and he breathes his divine life into him. Which tells us that human beings are very different from other creatures. Somebody who was breathed into with the breath of God. An essential part of their existence, their ontology was inhaling and exhaling God himself, the breath of God. Now, we don't have a lot of data of what that looked like in the Garden of Eden because the fall, sin, rebellion entered the world quite quickly after that point. But we get a hint in Genesis chapter 3 after they've disobeyed. And it says this, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord, as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, the way that's phrased, it's phrased in such a way as it intimates familiarity. That that they heard the sound of the Lord. Well, how did they know what that sounded like? Because he'd done it before. That seems to be the obvious thing, that, that he'd done it the day before and the day before that. And they knew It's a bit like when, if you live in a house and and the way somebody opens the door or puts the key in the lock and you know just by listening, you think, no, I know who that is. Or the way somebody walks in a certain speed or, or pace, you think, I know who that is. Well, they knew what it was to have the Lord walking in the garden. And here's the picture we could perhaps build that at the end of their day when the Lord would come walking, with his footsteps in the garden, that they'd have been working and they'd have been enjoying creation and they would have their moment with God where they would walk with him and talk with him as with a friend. And that's what it was to to know him. Some of you, if something exciting happens in your life or something tragic, what's the first thing you do? You pick up the phone or you call on somebody or you go home to your spouse and you say, God, to tell you about my day. Well, there was a time when doing that with God himself, it wasn't that you had to get religious or think, oh, what shall I pray? It wasn't thinking, oh, what's God saying back? No, it was a friendship with God. Moment by moment, day by day, God dwelling in and among his people. What a picture. They were filled with all the fullness of God. All of their senses, taste, touch, smell, feeling, tasting, breathing, God. What a picture. What a picture that gets abruptly spoiled through sin, through rebellion, through disobedience. Now, God had given them the warning that if they disobeyed, then they would surely die. The serpent had given them another line saying, You know, if you disobey God, you won't surely die. And they went with the serpent's view. Now, interestingly, if you were to look through a certain lens, after that event, you'd think, well, maybe the serpent had a point. They didn't seem to physically die, they went on to live. Their hearts kept beating, their lungs kept breathing, their hands kept touching, their minds kept thinking. But the loss they experienced was more profound than any of those things because they had lost friendship with God. They had lost the presence of God. God excluded them from the garden that he had created to be a dwelling place for him and them. They had lost the biggest treasure that they had had. And that's why in Ephesians 2, when millennia later, Paul refers to, to the place of the human race. Next slide, please. Uh, yeah, if you go, uh, next slide, please. Yeah, actually, He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. This is what death looks like. Death isn't just about your heart stopping beating. It's about not knowing God as he intended to and not being filled with his fullness. And so we read about their exclusion in Genesis 3.22, that we find the cherubim and flaming swords flashing back and forth. And I wonder what it looked like for Adam and Eve to look back through those flaming swords to the land that once was theirs and the experience of God that they no longer had. Then if you've ever had a tooth extracted, and you know that feeling when you've had the tooth extracted and you just poke your tongue around your mouth and there's that nice hole, that's kind of, it's kind of nice, isn't it? You ever had that? You kind of feel that hole and you, and, you, and, and you remember what was there. But what happens over time is that hole fills up. And whereas Adam and Eve missed and lost and grieved their relationship with God, no human being has in the way since. Because that hole closed up and we've learned to work around and get by and we've never truly known what they experienced But what we find is that God's plan in the garden wasn't judgment, it was mercy. In fact, we were singing a song about consuming fire, filming. You know, if, if, if the consuming fire was to fall on sinful human beings, they would be consumed with immediate effect. So God's mercy was to put them outside in a safe place. But we see moments of mercy because the last act in Eden wasn't judgment, it was mercy. He gave them clothes to wear because he saw their nakedness and he saw their shame and he didn't want them to live with that. So he covered them. And throughout the Old Testament, we find moments of mercy, moments that give us a glimpse of perhaps a little bit of what they had in that garden. And so we find a few characters in the Bible. We find a guy called Enoch, doesn't tell us much about him, but it says this, he walked with God and was no more because God took him. We don't know what job he had. We didn't, don't know if he had a degree. We don't know uh, anything about his life. We don't know much about his family. But we do know this, that he walked with God. So, Some of us here, we're starting new phases of life, new jobs, new universities. Don't miss the main thing with your life, which is to walk with God. Ultimately, that's all that will matter. You can have the world and lose this main thing. Abraham showed us another example. It says that he was called God's friend. Nobody was saying that about anybody else in his generation. Moses would speak to the Lord face to face as one would with a friend. Nobody else was speaking to God that way in his generation. About David... It said, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people. Nobody other than David was that said about in his generation. Exceptionally, that spirit of God, that breath of God, that wind of God would be seen falling on individuals in the Old Testament period. So we read about these three, for example. A man called Bezalel involved in the building of the tabernacle. And the Lord said to Moses, see, I've chosen Bezalel, and I've filled him with the spirit of God, the breath of God, the wind of God, with wisdom and understanding, with knowledge and all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze. We get a glimpse of perhaps the creativity that was available to every human being in the Garden of Eden now being expressed in part through one person, who was pretty creative sometimes when you look at art and design and your heart just goes, Wow, it tells you something about what humans were made for. If we were to experience the fullness of all of his fullness in us, Gideon was a weak, uh, a weak um, leader, in fact, he wasn't a leader at all, he was a weak human being who. God chose, and it says, the spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abizrites to follow him. He called the people to war. It was a time when the invaders had come, and they needed to push them back out again. The spirit of God took somebody who in themselves was weak and gave them leadership, influence, gifts. Perhaps that's what we were made for, all of us. Samson in Judges 15, he's the muscles guy, isn't he? Uh, He wasn't actually. I I mean, I I dare say Samson looked a bit like me. (laughs) Forget the kids' storybooks. Because Samson only had his supernatural strength when the spirit of the Lord came on him. That tells us it wasn't to do with his muscles. It was to do with God. And it tells us something of the strength that was available to every human being in in the Garden of Eden that was lost, but God made available in his mercy and in time and place to help God's people. But these were once-in-a-lifetime events. Let me ask you, anybody here actually seen King Charles in the flesh? Okay, some. Wow, lucky you. There's not many. I I saw him once. I was on the Royal Mile, and I had my iPhone up here (laughs) behind the crowd, And then when I looked back at it a couple of hours later, and I said, look, there he was. He was there. (laughs) You see, to, to see these examples of friendship with God or somebody with the breath of God, the wind of God, the spirit of God on them, in Old Testament times, it was few and far between. You were lucky if you ever met one. As humans, we seem to have this longing for people who are living a dream that we're not. It drives celebrity culture and is usually based on, ultimately, a fallacy. Even Christians can sometimes sadly end up putting Christians in those positions where they're really living something that I'm not. God is dismantling that. But throughout that same period, in the Old Testament, you find the prophets begin to speak. Of a time and a place when the knowledge of God and the Spirit of God would be experienced by everyone. Now, it's important to understand this because in Jewish thinking, in the time the prophets wrote and in their own understanding, they spoke of something called the day of the Lord. And it was a defining moment in history to come, which was that God was going to change everything of their experience. He was going to uh, establish his kingdom. He was going to bring judgment to the, sin, to the sin of the world. He was going to right the wrongs, destroy their enemies, and a new world order would begin. An age of joy, freedom, peace, and prosperity, and knowledge of God for God's people. And their, their assumption was that the Messiah would come and bring an end to this age over here, The Messiah would come and then a new age would begin with all of these wonderful things and all of the old stuff would go and all of the new stuff would come. So they would prophesy, Jeremiah chapter 31, for example, no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord and I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. Universal knowledge of God. Joel chapter two. And afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So a coming age is prophesied when the youngest to the oldest will know God, and it won't be based on how old they are, but they will know God as our ancestors knew him in the garden. It's an age to come when sin would no longer be a separating, defining issue because God would remember those sins no more. It would be an age to come which knowledge of God wouldn't be based on position, or for special people in history. An age to come when the voices of God wouldn't be male-only voices, but we'd hear the best of all the voices, male and female, not based on gender. An age when all the voices could be heard, men, women, experience, and youth. So that's the age to come, the day of the Lord, and this is what's coming. Sounds good, doesn't it? Well, this is where Jesus kind of messed with their expected timeline. Because Jesus didn't come at the end of the previous age, he came into the middle of it. Which kind of surprised everybody. It surprised the disciples. They said, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel anytime soon? And he he says, no, I'm going to go back to heaven. He says, I'm going to pour out the Holy Spirit. So the Bible talks about, this stage of history that we're in as being this overlap of the ages on us on whom the end of the ages has come and that's to say that we live in this overlap it's not that this it's not that we're between these two things it's that this is still going on this old creation and this new creation has already begun so 2 Corinthians 5 says this sorry I've skipped a couple of slides Um, John. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. That's what happened. When Jesus died on a cross and rose again, and when he poured out his Holy Spirit on on his church, he was saying, it's the new creation. It's begun. It's right now. So all of the old stuff is still with us. Sin, rebellion, a world that's full of evil in many ways, as well as good things, but then also the joy of this new creation that God is bringing about through his people. And the Holy Spirit seems to be implicit. The, the scripture that, that, Joel, that I read from Joel is repeated in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. That the coming of the Spirit on all flesh. God coming on all of his people. Men and women. Young and old. It's happened. It's happening right now. Acts 2.33, exalted to the right hand of God. Jesus has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. The Holy Spirit, the presence of God, known to Adam and Eve, known to Abraham and Moses and Enoch and David and Gideon. The Spirit of God, known to every believer, God filling us with all of his fullness. We're living in it right now. And therefore, the person and experience of the Spirit living in our lives is vital. That has three big implications for us. One is this, that we don't live as orphans, but as children. Let's get the picture again. When Adam and Eve left the garden, when they were excluded... They left the parental care, the only parental care they had ever known. They must have felt totally bereft. Sudden, traumatic loss. When Jesus tells his disciples, I'm returning to heaven to be with the Father, everything in them must have felt all of those emotions. They'd been near to God again. And suddenly he's saying, I will not be there anymore. And he says, don't worry. Here's what he says. John 14, I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. This is what it is to be a Christian in 2023. It's to walk and talk with God. It's to have God live inside you by his spirit. And Romans 8 says that the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. In this new creation order, this is what we're to grow in more and more and more. The knowledge of being the children of God. This is what the Spirit does in our lives. Here's the second implication of this new creation we live in, that we don't live as outsiders but insiders. We have a better relationship. Unlike Adam and Eve who could not access God in Eden because of their sinfulness, through Jesus and by the Spirit, the Bible says our prayers are heard 24-7. Ephesians 2 says, for through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. A story is told of Abraham Lincoln uh, in the Civil War, uh, that, that there was a soldier who needed leave because he had two relatives who died very suddenly on the same day, and he had to get a presidential permission to be excused from military duty. And he goes, and he goes to the White House, but he gets turned away at the gates the guards say, I'm sorry, you don't have an appointment and you can't see the president. And so thoughtfully, he, just, he goes and sits in the park next to the White House, and he sits down wondering what he's going to do. And a little boy comes and starts chatting to him. And he says, soldier, you look pretty sad. What's up? He's obviously a very mature little boy. A bit like Amelia Rawson or something. You know, she's, she's very emotionally intelligent, isn't she, Chris? And, uh, and the, the boy... Uh, he, the soldier pours out his heart to this little boy about he needs to see the president to, to get to a presidential uh, permission the boy says I think I can help and he takes the soldier by the hand and he leads him past the, the guards on the front gate and nobody seems to notice and he takes him up the stairs of the White House and he doesn't even knock on the door of the Oval Office he just barges straight in and Abraham Lincoln is there with his Secretary of State and they're making war plans and the And President Lincoln just looks up and he sees the boy and he says, Todd, how can I help? Who's your friend? Introduce me to him. Todd Lincoln, the son of Abraham, makes a way for the soldier to access his father. Jesus makes our access possible to the father and it's by the agency of the spirit at work in us. Thirdly, We have a better guarantee. So when Adam and Eve held that bitten apple in their hands, it was a guarantee of one thing. It was a guarantee that they would be excluded from the friendship with God and the presence of God forever. That's what it meant to hold a bitten apple in the Garden of Eden. We have a better guarantee says this in Ephesians 1, when you believed in Jesus, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. The Holy Spirit given to you is the guarantee that one day you will get all of God in all of his fullness, in all of your life, even if you feel like you're not experiencing it now. Because God puts his deposit in your heart by the Spirit, God living in you. And now we get to know him more and more. How do we do it? Well, we get to know him personally and we get to know him through our gathered community. Here's my invitation to you. Don't somebody wants to describe us as a God-shaped hole in our lives left by the fall. Don't fill that God-shaped hole with non-God-shaped objects or people in your life. Ephesians 5. So in the same letter where Paul uh, prays that they will um, experience the fullness of God, he says this in Ephesians 5. He says, don't get drunk on wine. Don't substitute the real thing for something lesser, like wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Fill the God-shaped hole with God speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Seems like personal worship is a really key place where we get to experience the fullness of God filling us. I want to encourage you to not just come to church for a top-up on a Sunday. God's always merciful and he always fills us when we ask but let's come to him let's come stick on spotify stick on a worship playlist sing to him be filled with him know him and then in the gathering of god's people we talked in creation how the spirit of god was poised hovering over the face of the waters and the, the, the Spirit of God is poised. Now, in the assembled church in 1 Corinthians 12, we get a similar picture. That the gifts of the Spirit, tongues, interpretations, prophecy, teaching, all of these different gifts, they're not expressed as gifts, they're expressed as manifestations. That's to say that God is here and he's going to show himself through different gifts. So the breath, the wind of God, the spirit of God is going to be made manifest in this assembly and has been today and is being today through the gifts that God gives. I love it. I love when people bring their gifts into community. I love it when people serve tea or coffee or teach or share tongues or interpretations or prophetic words. Because in each of those things, the breath of God is breathing and the people of God are breathing it in. We're going to take a moment to just spend some time breathing in the presence of God. Doesn't that sound good? And we're going to ask him to fill us afresh. And it could be you've never been in a church where this gets talked about. You know, some churches as well you have the singing and you have the teaching and Here's what happens when we sing according to that verse that we read. The spirit of God fills us. The spirit of God fills us and we get to know him. So as we sing, we're going to ask him to help us and fill us afresh. And tonight we'll get a chance to do this some more also in our prayer gathering. But Let me read one final verse to you from Revelation 22. The Bible ends with a Invitation to the thirsty. The Spirit and the bride. The bride is the church. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let the one who hears. Are you hearing him today? Let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. The tree of life, not available. Adam and Eve vanished, but the water of life available to every believer, you and me as we come to him. He's here today. Let's enjoy friendship with him. Let's enjoy family with him at the centre. Don't settle for a workaround. It's him we need. Let's ask him to fill us and ask him that we could be his dwelling place. Amen.